one can do this. This is what's so important. We, uh, we don't embrace the idea that God has some sort of special uh, kingdom Navy SEALs who, uh, you know, do these special missions. Uh, and then there's the rest of us. And so that is the function of this, is to, to get an understanding of this. We're, we're, uh, now we have been talking about uh, the opposition that, that, that is there. You know, you would think on the surface that just the idea of that God could heal, every, you, know, you think, who would be against that? Why would anybody oppose that? That makes no sense at all. Sinner or saint would say, hey, if God can heal, let's, let's just agree. But it doesn't quite work that way. There is a pushback, there is an opposition, and where we are at now in our study is that this isn't just true about uh, unbelievers. In fact, many of us in our experience have found that people that uh, are not saved or don't really think about God at all are actually more open to it. It's new to them. It's a wonder to them. And, uh, and they're, you know, willing to listen, let you pray for them. But very often there's a religious component that resists this. And I shared uh, uh, how when uh, uh, in our fellowship, when Pastor Mitchell began to contend for healing and what God was going to do uh, in healing, uh, that there was a pushback. Uh, it wasn't overt, but it was very, very real as uh, you begin to realize that there are weeds out there. So Luke 8 is our uh, verse this morning. Uh, Gilbert, read that for us today. And uh, let's, uh, let's continue on this line this morning. A sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trampled down, and the birds of the air devoured it. Some fell on rock, and as soon as it sprang up, it withered away because it had lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. But others fell on good ground, sprang up, and yielded a crop a hundredfold. When he had said these things, he cried out, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Okay, so uh, there are thorns that choke the word. Now the idea, and we all know this, seeds, uh, or rather weeds are part of the curse. They are there. We all deal with them in our lives. And so this is the reality that there are uh, uh, thorns that uh, when a word of God is dropped in and all the power and the hope, and yet thorns come in and choke the word. And uh, so we begin to talk about, and where we left off last week is we were talking about some theological weeds that often get in the way of contending for miracles and healing and seeing the power of God. That uh, it's one thing to, to be somebody who doesn't really have any real position. I never really thought about it. You know, but it's another thing when a religious tra training and teaching has made us immediately oppose the very idea of being healed. And so we want to uh, uh, get into that this morning. I'm going to give out a couple of verses and uh, I'll start over here. First Peter chapter four, Mike, and then Kim, uh, you can get uh, Peter, first Peter four, verse 12 through 14. And then uh, Kim, James five, 14 through 16, and over here, Ray, Luke, uh, uh, Luke 8, 5 through 8, we'll go back to that verse, and I need one more, Sam, Genesis 3, 17 and 18, Jeremiah, Matthew 13, 24 through 26, and so um, 
But let's see how far we get this morning. And, uh, and so we're talking about uh, the first one that we started to deal with was uh, sanctification through sickness. Sanctification through sickness. Anybody here uh, uh, remember 168 hours ago when we talked about this? What does that mean, sanctification through sickness? Amen. Somebody here boosts my ego. What is it? Ruby, right over here. Was it that you're more spiritual because you're dealing with the sickness? Okay, yeah. So that sickness is actually good for us spiritually. Very good. All right. So it's, we get sick. And then the idea being that, you know, uh, suffering and going through trials makes us better. So then is it escaping the trial to pray for healing? If, if, if God works through my trial. Anybody here been through a trial? Amen. How many of you went through the fire and came out the other end and said, you know what, even though that was difficult, I'm glad it happened because I really grew. Anybody here know what I'm talking about? So, but we take that thought, but then we apply it to healing and we're like, well, I've got this sickness, but, but I, I, you know, I'm going to go through it. I'm going to keep my heart right with God and I'm going to go through it. And then somebody comes along and says, Can I'll pray for you and you'll be healed. And it's like, no, because I want to be better. I want God to help me. And so we, we get this idea then that healing is actually thwarting what God's trying to do in my life. You, you're with me this morning. You understand the, the pattern of logic that operates in people. And then, of course, the idea then that God sent this sickness to me, that my sickness is something God sent, a God send because of what it's doing in my life and the way it's helping me. And so we begin to construct our minds this way. And so then the idea of somebody coming along and saying, hey, let's, let's believe God. And we're there and we're like, well, I don't know if that's really God. God's the one who made me sick. He's not the one that's trying to heal me. He's trying to make me sick. Maybe the devil's trying to heal me. You know, I, I, I don't know how far you take it. But the idea being that, that somehow the belief that God can heal is challenged. Um, so remember, context, the early church faced severe persecution. The early church absolutely believed that Jesus Christ would return in the, their generation. Okay, they, they really believed that. They, they believed that. And you know what? We should really believe that about our generation too. Every generation of Christians should believe Jesus could come back in their generation. So they, they, they weren't prepared for sickness and death. They weren't really looking at that. And as the persecutions began to intensify, there was much spoken about trials and tribulation and things that would, were going on in their lives. And you find in the later books, uh, 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 First and Second Peter, in 2 Timothy, in the Philippians, you find in the older books of the Bible an encouragement to have to endure affliction and the promise that having endured affliction that they would be better for having stood during that time. And so these are all valid truths, but then we take that application and then we apply this to every area of life that anything then that is hard on me is God sent and therefore I shouldn't want my life to become easier. And though this mutated into some very extreme 
uh, mindsets, and we'll look at that in a minute. First Peter 4, verses 12 through 14. Beloved, do not think it strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. But rejoice to the extent that you partake of Christ's suffering, that when his glory is revealed, you may be also glad with exceedingly joy. If you are reproached for the name of Christ, blessed are you, for the spirit of glory and of God rests upon you. On their part, he is blasphemed, but on your part, he is glorified. So Peter is encouraging them and saying, okay, things are going to happen. They have gone through an intense persecution and that God was going to help them. He does not credit God with inviting the hardship. He doesn't say, well, God sent this. He goes, no, no, you're being reproached for the name of Christ. We live in a fallen world. Living for Jesus in this world is hard because we are not playing on our home court anymore. We are playing in a world that opposes and throws everything in the kitchen sink at the believer. And you and I are going to go through things. We're going to experience persecution. Uh, we live our lives uh, opposite of the way many people live their lives. Uh, we're going cross grain. All these experiences are ours. And as they're ours, you and I have to come against this. So the idea that he's saying God didn't send this. This is part of what happens. This is part of the curse. This is part of the fallen world that we live in. And he encouraged him that you have to stand and you have to stay true in the middle of this persecution. And so the idea then that, well, sickness, God sent it to me because he was trying to teach me something is not true. Sickness is part of the curse. Adam and Eve were not uh, uh, death and the human uh, 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 disease and all of that came after the curse. It wasn't God sending sickness. It was, this is now part and parcel of the world that we live in. I don't know if you guys have been paying attention about these uh, outbreaks. Right now there's a measles outbreak that has moved through America. You know, I, I, you know, I'm 56 years old. My entire life, measles has not been an issue in this country. I was just hearing the other day that when it's going unreported that there's a, a major outbreak on the border and there's a very high percentage of border patrol agents and people that are working the border that are now hospitalized because you have people coming over who have never been immunized coming from places where there is no immunization and they're carrying these and they're bringing them into our country. Then you have the people, the vaccination conspiracies and all. And, and, and now we're, you know, this, and you see how quick disease spreads. That's an eye opener. That's how, how things move. You know, this is the flesh. This is the fallen nature. This is the world that we live in. And the idea that, well, God sent this disease is not recognizing that we live in a fallen world. I've used the illustration before. But I, I've shared with this congregation over the years that there was a very interesting comment that I read about uh, these, pi uh, these uh, astronauts that go up to our uh, space station and stay for extended periods of time, up to one year. They live in weightlessness. For a year, they live without gravity. And they, you know, they give them all kinds of exercises and things to do so their muscles don't atrophy. But when they come back, one of the things that these astronauts say is they cannot believe gravity, 
having lived in weightlessness for a year, they come back and it's like they don't, it's, it's what they're saying is you guys don't realize how much gravity there is holding us down. Just the very act of doing this. And the article said that they even get tired when they're sleeping because there's this gravitational pull that, you know, we function it, we live in it, we just, we accept it. I want to tell you, there's a gravitational pull of the world that's down here in ways that we don't, we don't fully appreciate. And, and so, and Peter wants to listen, yes, you have to stand in a dark world and be faithful, but God's not the one causing your injury. See, we're supposed to thank God in suffering, not for suffering. There's a big difference. This is this quote from the Church of England. It says, wherefore, whatsoever your sickness is, it is God's visitation. We're talking about the idea that somehow I am sanctified. And so you see how far this has gone that these vicars from the Church of England would ministers that would go and, and uh, 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 visit the sick, this is what they came up with. Rather than go, like the book of James says, and pray for the sick that they might be healed, they developed a theology that basically told the sick person, this is good for you. This is good. All right, anybody have anything here? John Rance, anybody else? We're talking about this idea. Okay, John. Okay, I may be getting ahead of myself knowing the way things happen in, in Sunday school, but <laughs> I beg the question is, how do we reconcile this with Paul's affliction in the flesh? Well, okay, uh, yes, you're getting ahead of yourself, John. You're always ahead. You're always on the next chapter. But, but no, uh, first of all, we don't know what Paul's thorn in the flesh was, okay? You know, uh, people guess, right? There are people that say, well, Paul had, must have been losing his eyesight. You hear that? He told the Galatians, you would have plucked out your own eyes and given them to me. So there are people that suggest that. And so people make the assumption that he had an illness. The only thing about that, and I've thought about it, is the word thorn in the flesh is not, you know, so many of the things Paul said have an Old Testament reference, you know, um, to the point where you realize how much of their language. Great book, if you have never read it or you haven't read it since you've grown up, it's called Moby Dick. You ought to, if you had a chance to read that book, uh, Herman Melville, because it's like that. He has so much Bible in it. it, it these people... They, their knowledge of the Bible is amazing. And, and the reason I say that is thorn in the flesh is an Old Testament term. And it had to do with people, difficult people. So I'll leave it all right there, okay? So, but, uh, so you know, so there's speculation that somehow he's glorying in a sickness because he used the word infirmity, which in the Greek there's weakness, not necessarily physical illness at all. Um, Okay, let me, let me uh, 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 give you a little story here. And uh, I want you to just look at this. It says, I recently, I'll let him pull it up. He said, I recently met a seminary student, I will call Richard, who had suffered a stroke that left the right side of his body virtually paralyzed. 
When I offered to pray for him, he thanked me for my concern, but declined. He then explained how in his affliction, he had grown close to God and therefore regarded partial paralysis as a good thing. I agreed with him on what appeared to be a significant positive benefit and then suggested that if the stroke had been of value, how much more the healing would be of value. He thought it over what I said, but declined my praying for him because as he said, quote, I don't want to miss out on anything God wants to teach me through this. I suggested that some of what God wanted to teach him was through healing. Okay, hold on, Tony, you get ahead. So, so here's this guy who had a stroke and he's suffering. He offers to pray for him for healing and his response is that I, I don't want to miss out on anything God wants to teach me through this. What do you say? I mean, the person, this man, Richard, is obviously a very good man. It's not an evil person. It's not, you know, this is a good man who says, this is the hand that was dealt me and I'm just gonna play this hand. And somebody says, well, wait a minute, we can throw another card on the table and, it's, and, and, and has resolved this. What do you say? Doris. So I'm kind of thinking like, uh, um, I have someone that I, I wanted to pray for in the past, you know, not saved, but they're like, oh no, then I won't get disability. <laughs> you know, they utilize that, you know, it's like, but God can do a miracle. You know, I think of like parking where I park handicapped and everything, you know, it helps me and stuff. But I'm like, people look at him like, I would give up, you know, parking anywhere. You want to change places with me? You know, I look at that and, and all. And it's like, why, why do I have to go through this to learn something? Or like, it's like we say at the altar, you pray with them and then shoot them. So maybe that's the only way they'll make it to heaven, you know, you know, because they're going to mess up. And it's like, why do we have to use those excuses that I have to go through this for me to draw closer to Christ? You know, it's a cop out, really, you know, and, and it's like, yeah, you can look at it. You can look at I, I, you know, with other people that have been through things like, you know, with Ray's wife, Josie, and with Kathy and different people. And like, I've learned a lot that's it's helped me you know, by seeing what they've gone through. But man, I wanted to see them healed, yeah. you know, and the same token is like, I don't, I don't want to, I'd rather be healed, you know, and then use that excuse is what I look at it as saying, you know what, you're drawing closer to it. It's coming to prayer. Right. It's doing the things that we need to be doing. Stop using that as an excuse basically is what it is. You know, I, I can't help but think, you know, when you read something like that, that when the word got out that Jesus was healed, the Bible says it came from everywhere. They didn't say, well, no, this is good for me. And, and so uh, there is a powerful truth here. Now, I want, you to, I want you to go on and go to the next paragraph in this story here. He said, I then asked Richard if he took physical therapy to improve his condition. He said, yes, of course he did. And then I asked why you would accept improvement through therapy, but not through prayer. After a long pause, he said, I don't know. It's a weed. It's a weed. It's a theological weed at, that takes just this wonderful truth. God can heal. Let's believe God. Uh, we all know we pray for people in situations and they haven't received uh, uh, the, the instantaneous miracle we were all hoping for. 
And they have to resolve that, you know what, if this is my life, then I'm going to serve God and I'm going to be glad and I'm going to be happy and not somehow turn it to accusing God. But the idea that, well, let's, I don't even want to believe. And, and then you kind of realize, you know, that, well, maybe the issue just really isn't all this because you want to get better. But somehow the very idea that you want to pray and ask God to heal you, it's like, I don't know if I want to do that. Okay, Kim. Uh, actually, I already had the mic. Uh, so just a kind of a personal story, exact, uh, exact example of what you were saying there. So when I was pregnant with my second son, you know, we knew when I was pregnant that there, he was going to have problems and we didn't know if he was going to live, you know, to be born. And there was a lot of issues that were going on. And so uh, we found out they had set up another uh, appointment for me to come back to the hospital. And so in the meantime, of course, you know, I'm devastated and we're just trying to work through this. We're very young and, uh, you know, we're praying and, you know, we pray and we believe God. We believe God is going to be healed, but we don't know until we go to the, the hospital again and, and get more tests. And as I began to kind of process through that, I really was, I, I legitimately believe, you know what, I think that this baby got healed. And my biggest fear going to the hospital wasn't that he wasn't going to be healed. It was a legit struggle of, God, if he's not healed, am I going to be mad at you? God, I'm so afraid I don't want to be mad at you. And um, I remember going, uh, you know, he did still have all the issues and everything. And, and uh, I left the hospital and had this conversation as we were walking through the hallways of my husband and uh, telling him I felt relief. And, I, it, you know, and it doesn't really make sense, but I did. I felt relieved and um, getting really emotional because I wasn't mad at God. And then, uh, dang, so uh, fast forwarding, you know, going through five years of, you know, having sickness, having a lot of issues, uh, a lot, a lot of problems uh, in and out of the hospitals uh, and everything. And we would be in church and uh, I don't know why I'm getting all emotional. Uh, we would be in church, you know, we would pray and we would believe God, you know, we're going to pray for healing. And I remember having to go through the struggle of do I take them up there to have them prayed for? You know, I, I obviously, and there was a balance that I had to learn between faith and uh, physical, you know, just going to doctors. Doctors are there, they're a gift of God, they're there to help us. They have this knowledge that God has given doctors. And um, having to really just within myself balance that out. Am I not believing God by taking him to the doctor? Am I, you know, immunizations, the whole gambit of everything is treating him medically, not having faith, and somehow working through it, and just really just working through my own relationship with God, I began to have balance. No, God, I'm going to believe you, and you know, God, he is in your hands. We're going to give this baby to you, and we're going to love him, and, and this is a gift for you for as long as we have him. And on the other hand, as well, um, God, you're still good. Yeah. You're still good, and you do still do miracles, and I'm not going to get bent out of shape with why. Why me? Why him? Why us? I can't do that. And I knew that in my spirit that wasn't right. And so I began to somehow find balance. And um, there is a balance that's available. And it, it, you have to work that out yourself. Amen. Very, very good. Um, James 5, 14 through 16. Okay. Uh, what, verse 14? Yeah. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. 
Confess your trespasses to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The effective, fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. So the Bible says, go back to the first one, first part, Tony. It says here, if you're sick, ask for prayer. Ask for prayer. It doesn't say the elders automatically know you're sick. Amen. You, you have to reach out. If you have a need, you have to reach out. Uh, over the years, sometimes I meet people that they're upset at everybody because they were sick and nobody helped them. You didn't call anybody. And so you have to. The Bible says, let them pray over him, anointing him with the oil in the name of the Lord. Uh, you know, those of us that were Catholic know that there's such a thing as called, called the last rites. And that is that they call you in and the priest comes and he gives you the last rites and he prepares you for death. And they use this verse right here. That, that the elder comes, you're sick. I mean, you, you can have a cold and the brother's going to show up and get you ready for death. It's like, no, this is not what this verse means. This is not, and, and yet people, you know, say, no, no, the idea here is that I'm sick. I'm going to ask for a healing. The next verse goes on and says, uh, the prayer of faith will save the sick and the Lord will raise him up. They say, well, see, that's referring to resurrection. No, it means getting out of the sick bed. That God will touch him and heal him. There's the whole component of praying for people and dealing with the issues of sin. We're going to talk about that a little bit later on in this Sunday school and how uh, sin and things like that are, uh, play a part. Infirmity and spirit are connected together. But the Bible says you pray for him that he might be healed and that God will touch and minister to him. The, my point of presenting this verse right here is the attitude of the Christian when they're sick is, I want to be healed. Okay, if I'm sick, I want to be healed. I'm going to call and I'm going to ask for prayer because I want to get healed. He's not supposed to say, Lord, what are you trying to teach me through this sickness? Lord, why have you just made me sick? What is your will here? The attitude of a believer is I'm going to believe God for a healing. And I'm going to let God help me. We're not to su uh, uh, seek suffering and hardship. And I just want to touch on this just for a minute. Because sometimes there is this, you, when you begin to embrace the idea of sanctification comes through sickness, if you're not careful, then you pursue sickness or hardship because everything is making me better. Okay, and this becomes this, it becomes a very twisted thing. Some of us are familiar with monasteries and monks and uh, this, uh, this whole idea exploded in the early Christian church where if hardship and suffering makes me a better Christian, then I'm going to pursue a life of hardship and suffering so that I might become better. And so these, they built these monasteries and people came and the ones who lived in the monasteries were called monks. And you would hear the stories about certain monasteries where they did not permit, you know, uh, they would make incredible sacrifices. Uh, there were monasteries where you would make a vow of silence and you would not speak, you wouldn't talk. 
and you would go and you would live in this very rugged world where you'd sleep on a wooden plank in a, in a stone little room uh, and all you had was a desk and a candle and the only thing you read was the Bible and every morning you'd get up and you'd eat your little portion and then you'd go and, and you would work uh, in the fields or in the, the mill and you would do this and, and, and you would have these communal things and then you'd go and this idea is I'm totally cutting out the world, I am cutting, and therefore I'm making myself and it created some of the strangest people in the world because of this idea that some I'm pursuing this. It'd be like if you lived in big country and you were gonna come down Marbach Road to church, but you said, you know what? I want to grow as a believer, so I'm gonna take 1604 and I'm gonna come all the way around uh, and then get to 21 and I'm gonna come down. And I know it's gonna be an extra 40 miles, but this is building my spirit. There are people, this is how they think. Everything is, this is good for me, and so I'm going to pursue this. And it, just, and it, it, it gets totally out of balance in a person's life. Pursue the will of God. In the will of God, you are going to deal with affliction and hardship and pain and disappointment, but keep doing the will of God. Our job is to pursue His will, not to pursue pain and suffering. Along the way, that's going to happen. Our job is not to pursue pain and suffering. Brian, I know when we went to uh, Sri Lanka, it was that same way as if the, the Buddhists had that mindset you're talking about, trying to somehow suppress their, uh, get to the next level of uh, glor their glory or whatever. But when we went to uh, witness. What, one, thing we, one thing we focus on was actually praying for the sick because sometimes you could witness and tell them that Jesus, whatever comes into a religious argument, but we offered to pray for the sick, they willingly said yes. And uh, we uh, got to pray and they got yes. healed and then some people got saved also. Amen, very good. So anybody else before I move on? Ray, did you have your hand up? I just wanted to, to say um, in a subculture of, uh, because the, you know I was involved in all that weird stuff, but um, in some of these tattoo shops, they have a, uh, they have a, a back room where uh, they practice uh, uh, flagellation for purification. And what they do is they actually uh, scourge themselves. They, 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 yeah. they, they pull pulleys. I don't want to get too graphic, yeah. but they believe that through that pain and that suffering, there's some purification that happens with the with that that kind of uh, with that kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. And so um, every Lent there are penitentes. These are uh, cults uh, uh, of men who self-flagellate, crawl on their knees. You go if you don't believe me. One time during the season of Lent, you go to New Mexico and you go up on I-25 from Albuquerque, going to Santa Fe, or up from Santa Fe up to a place called Chimayo and you will see people walking on the side of the road. Some people are even crawling, and, uh, and they believe that during the Lenten season, the, the punishing of their body is drawing them closer to God. That is why Jesus Christ died on the cross. Okay, so you and I don't have to. And so this is the extreme, if you take this doctrine to its logical conclusion, and that is I should pursue suffering because that's making me better and that's not biblical okay let me move along secondly here there's divine determinism 
very similar, but it's worth bringing up here. And that is a theological, uh, another weed that becomes entrenched in the minds of Christian. And it goes like this. If I am sick, it is because God has willed me to be sick and I do not have the right to seek healing. So if I'm sick, everything is the will of God. I'm not going to go deep into this because you and I could spend the next six months on this truth, but it is the whole issue of, of uh, sovereignty, human will, the laws of sowing and reaping, all the things that are involved in the world that influence us. But uh, when you strictly say anything that happens to me is the will of God, then you know, my choice to seek healing is my will opposing his will. Now, I know for many of us that doesn't, you know, that, that's not really an issue here, but we're, 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 we're trying to teach us and give us reference points here as we're looking at this issue here. It is part of a larger false doctrine of predestination or determinism that everything that happens in life is a direct result of God's will. And uh, people think this way. They have this mentality. Uh, uh, it is the idea that God has pre-programmed everything, pressed a button, and we are just simply living out what everything that's already been decided, that none of us really have a will, They'll take a couple of verses in the Bible, New Testament, out of context. God has, uh, uh, before the foundations of the earth, we were, we were chosen. And say, so that means if you're saved, it's because the, God chose some of us to be saved. Some of us are, are, uh, are going to be lost. It's already been decided. Uh, some have gone so far as to say that you could have come here, answer an altar call. Go to church, live a Christian life, and die and find out you just weren't chosen. What a drag. But, but again, but this is the idea that God has determined all things. And so if I choose to be healed, am I now opposing God's will? Am I fighting God's will? Instead of just as simple as James put it, you're sick, call for the elders, have them pray for you. But somehow it's, it, it, it gets twisted into that, well, is that wrong? Am I now fighting the will of God? Let me get, read you a, a letter to the editor uh, from a Beverly Hills pastor. I feel compelled to affirm that any of you of God which denies that he controls all events makes the idea of God irrelevant. The real question is not why does God allow suffering, but why does God show mercy at all? God loves some of us, and he does not love others in the same way. That is why there is salvation for some and suffering for others. And that's a letter from a Beverly Hills pastor. I wouldn't want to go to that guy's church. That's all, if that's true, then, you know, what, what, is, what are some implications of that? Anybody here? Think, think that through. Barb, I see your hand there. Uh, Bridget. Okay. Barb. Just, that's just crazy. It, that actually bothers me, a lot, especially with this um, Sunday school, because, you know, uh, I was, my mom tried to abort me twice before I was born. And so I have a lot of physical defects that some of them you just don't see. 
But if that were the case, that I was suffering because that was somehow that God didn't love me, then I would probably, if that were true, I probably would never even been born because God didn't love me enough to, you know, that's just crazy. And, and actually the, this whole Sunday school has like opened my eyes because like last week when Caleb was telling about this kid that was running and, uh, you know, instantly healed with several interesting words, um, that just inspired me and my boss pulled me into her office to change her calendar and she was visibly upset well not upset she just was distant and they asked her what was wrong she was going to have a doctor's appointment the next day they had found spots on her liver and um, she was really worried and so I said immediately right then and there just like do you want me to pray for you because since Caleb could do it I figured you know I'm older I probably should reach out a little bit and she said, yes, would you? And I, I mean, I was taken back by that because, you know, she didn't say, well, let me think about it. Or that was really nice of you. I mean, we're talking a, a senior vice president. So she has all kinds of money and all kinds of stuff. And, you know, really up there, spent 25 years at Boeing, you know, just really one of those kind of people that has everything. But this was really personal. And so um, I prayed for her loud. I did not, I didn't whisper this. And um, because I figured if she's going to fire me, at least I go out in a blaze of glory, right? So I, um, I just laid hands on her and I prayed for her. And she began weeping and she was big old hug and thought she was going to crack my back. It was awesome. And so the next morning, which was yesterday, she, or uh, Friday, she goes for the appointment. They had, had moved it up because they were really concerned. And she comes back in the office at 11 o'clock and came straight to my desk and said, there were no spots on my liver and my enzyme levels are perfect. She's totally healed. I look at stuff like, just that baffles me because you know what it does? It takes away from what God can do in an instant. We have to believe for miracles. And, you know, my my boss went around telling everybody that she was healed by the power of Jesus Christ. I mean, that was just, that's a miracle in itself. Yes, amen. It's not for some and not for others. Very good. Bridget. Um, So I have um, flyers on my desk. And so um, this lady came in and you could tell she was really sick and she was trying to get a passport to go, I don't know, to get some kind of treatment. And, and like she really did not have much time to live. And so she noticed the flyers and we were talking and she asked if I went to a Christian church and what kind of church and do they believe in healing? Do they really believe in healing? So I gave her my testimony and some, you know, other things. And so, so she seemed so skeptical that she goes, so I can come to your church and get prayed for and they will believe God. And I'm like, yes, come, you know, and I'll save you a place. And so she came. But you could tell there was something, you know, in the way of it. And so she comes over, she gets prayed for, and you prayed actually for her. But what was stuck in her head is that she went to a church that she was faithful at, loved the church, loved the pastor, but they believed in this. And so the answer to your question is, what do they have? They don't have hope, and and the outcome is death. Because her pastor did not, he believed that if you're sick, it's because, you know, God wants you to go through this. And this is something that, you know, you're going to have to go through because this is, this is just the will of God for you. And she came here. She saw it. She loved it. But because she was so involved in her church and she loved her pastor, she just could not get past. And I felt so horrible for her because, I mean, 
Here's the evidence. God came, Jesus Christ came to give us hope and to heal us. And the reason those three friends busted that guy's roof was so that Jesus could heal them. That's what he wants to do. But because she goes to a church where she doesn't, she walked out of here loving everything but without the hope. Okay. I have pretty heavy thoughts here. You know, I, I, it just crossed my mind, uh, you know, a medic. I don't know if we have any former military uh, medics, any medics here. I, mean, I know we have some. You are a medic. Uh, I'm thinking about, uh, you know, um, uh, I don't see them. Don't tell them that I, that I was asking for them. I'm not going to say their name. We have a few medics here, but I don't see them. Uh, but uh, any Navy personnel here can talk to us about a Navy medic that's attached, let's say, to Marines uh, or people that are in the field in, in combat. Anybody here have any, any uh, insight into that right there or experienced that? Or maybe you were in the service, but you weren't a medic, but you were on the other side. And, you know, a medic, uh, you know, these guys' job is to show up in the, in, in the field of battle and they have one job and do everything they can to tend to the to wounded, try to help them, keep them alive. Their job isn't to sh- climb you know, underneath all of the live fire and reach them and just say, it's God's will that this is happening to you. Their job is there to say, let's do everything we can to help you. Let's do, that we, my job is to try to keep you alive. That's what he said. That's what, and that's the approach we have as a Christian. And to turn that to simple palliative care that, well, our job is just to come and just help you. And we do that. That's part of it. Let's be, let's be clear that you're there to minister and comfort the weak and to, and to help people. And we're, like I said, if the rapture happens, we're all going to die. We're all going to be there. Um, but the idea that that's all the role of ministry is, is just to show up and comfort rather than contend. Because somehow God has chosen this path for you. You know, what's the point of witnessing if it's already been decided? Why evangelize? Why tell others about Jesus? What hope do you give a person who is under addiction and some terrible, terrible bondage if what you, all you can say to them is that God just willed for you to be a meth freak? or a pedophile, and you're just acting out what God is. What a cruel thing to say, I think. And so this is much, very much a very a real issue. It is a mistake to think that every event in life is done by divine decree and therefore cannot be improved upon. You know, and, uh, you know there's a big thing on vaccination, and I don't want to get into all that because I know how we can get sidetracked, but, to, you know, uh, there was a major issue in, in the early years, the Puritans, when they came to America because they didn't want to be inoculated from smallpox because they held to this belief. And so if the smallpox came into their community, they would interpret that as somehow God's divine plan. There were Christians who refused chloroform during childbirth because it was God's will for a woman to suffer. After the Bible says in pain, you shall bring forth children, so girl, put away that epidural. 
And, and, and there, I mean, and the thing is, you get right now, there are people, I understand, I'm not going to get again. You know, when you, get, you go into vaccinations and natural childbirth, and there are people that are going to, you know, uh, you know, that somehow, you know, I, I don't understand. I, 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 it's Mother's Day. Happy Mother's Day. I'm going to talk about that. But I want to tell you, all I can say about that is I'm so glad I'm a man. Hallelujah. Amen. I'm so glad I'm a man. You know, that's why you ever wonder why your wife, when you're like, oh, babe, I hurt my arm. Like, and they roll their eyes because they say, bro, you have no idea. Homeboy. Can you say amen? And so the idea here uh, that, uh, that uh, you know, is it wrong? Is it unspiritual to, to get a shot with childbirth? Is it, you know, is this, you know, escaping God's will in pain? You shall bring forth children. Dangerous. This is why when I pray for people, I don't pray, Lord, if it be thy will. Lord, if it be thy will, heal them. I remember years ago reading a story about a missionary whose daughter died from diphtheria. And he returned from the mission field angry and bitter and one of the reasons why is because his term, his way of speaking was the Lord took my daughter. That this was, this is the, the verbiage, the Lord took my daughter. And having said that, words matter. The anger and the bitterness of what had happened to him broke him. Listen to this quote from Russell Dix. He says, if you believe as traditional Christianity is taught that God is sovereign, that is to say that he personally and with careful foresight determines the birth, the health, the handicap of, or freedom of, of uh, the handicap or freedom of handicap of every baby, that he sends the illnesses and that he determines the major events of each person's life, then resentment towards God in some way or another is inevitable. That if we adapt the idea that somehow these things happen because God determined it and so not appreciating a fallen world, thorns and thistles, curses, death, sickness, disease, the manifestations of sin, curses that visit generationally, all the influences of that, that make up the human life and the human personality, and, 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 and look at that and then just simply write it off with whatever the outcome, it was God's will. At some point, then you're going to begin to say, God, how come? Rather than saying, this is a battlefield and on a battlefield, there are injuries and wounds and there are products. There are children with special needs that their parents love as much as any of their elder children and fall in love with them and care and look after them without having to say, God chose this for them, but instead understanding this is the world that we live in. You know, I'm, uh, you know, two generations removed. My, my mother's side, my father's side, all of my grandparents were born right around, right before the turn of the last century or right at the beginning of it. 
And my, both my parents had siblings that died. That had, my father, I believe, had three siblings die. Uh, my mother had, I think, two siblings die. It, you know, here we are a couple of generations later where that's so, so rare. But the reality is that this is a world that we live in. This is the human experience. And there's going to be tragedy and suffering. We understand that. But if it's, well, God has just chosen to do it this way. And I think uh, could have caused us some real trouble. Amen. So uh, we, are going, we have quite a bit more to go on this and move on to that. And, but uh, at the end, we always like to hear a testimony. I know we're kind of uh, dealing with some heavy issues here. But what we're trying to do is to be able to help us to expose weeds in our thinking and to say, no, wait a minute, what am I doing? God, I believe you can heal. I believe you want to heal and minister to people. And I'm just going to go with that. If I live in big country, I'm going to get on Marbach and come straight down. Not drive around 1604 just to, to make myself a better Christian and less money because I just blew a lot of money on gas and, uh, and make my life count. All right. Uh, today, we're going to hear testimony. Bring the uh, uh, mic down here to Lucy. I need somebody. Somebody with a microphone. Will, come on down here for Lucy Hernandez right over here. And uh, uh, Lucy last week was in the hospital. And she's not in the hospital, she's in church, and she's going to tell you how that happened. All right. Okay. Case started um, last week on Wednesday. I didn't feel good. And um, so uh, on Thursday, I got a phone call, and I was awakened. And so after I answered the phone call, I, I almost fainted. I mean, it's like, I, I, I wasn't feeling good at all. So I went to go check my pressure, and my heart was up to 125. And That's so I said, okay. beats, Lucy? Yes. Okay. Uh-huh. Okay. And so um, I went to emergency, and right away they put an IV. Um, they, they got some medication to lower it down, but it, it wouldn't lower I mean, it was like, it did, it went up and down, up and down, never steady. So um, I was just like that, um, that night. And uh, so the doctor came and said, well, you know, this, your heart is not beating right and this and that. And medical uh, speaking is like, you're going to have to go to medication, uh, a blood thinners, or you're going to have to shock your heart. And I was like, okay. And so... Um, so they kept me overnight because of my heart. It just wouldn't settle down. And so uh, Saturday, well, Friday, the same thing, because they admitted me to the hospital. It was the same thing. They were giving me double doses, and um, still it just wouldn't settle down. And so by Saturday, it was the same thing. I mean, the nurses came in, double doses. And I mean, so I, was, I just kept seeking, seeking God and praying and I said to myself, you know what, <clears throat> I need to, somebody to agree with me. And so I called one of my friends, godly friends, uh, uh, she, she prayed with me on the phone. She came over to visit me, we prayed again, we live in God. And so um, that day I just seek God, God, you know, just praying and just asking God for a miracle. So on uh, Sunday morning, uh, the same thing, the same thing. Uh, so um, 
I got a text from Pastor Martinez, and he said that he, you were all going to pray for me. You were going to grieve with me for a miracle. And so I said, okay. And so the, doc, the nurse comes in about 9 o'clock, 8 o'clock, and okay, your heart is still raising, so there's some more, you know, medicine. So I said, so okay. So I looked at the clock, and I followed you with the service because I know what you're going to do. You know, so uh, I followed you. I kept on praying, reading my Bible, doing whatever I could do. And so, um, so I was just there. And I knew that the service had ended. And so uh, there was a knock on my door. There was a knock on my door. And there was this nurse that took care of me for two days. So she knew, she knew everything that I was going through. She was the one that was giving me the double doses. And so she opens the door. And uh, I'm not going to ever forget her face. I mean, she had a glow on her face, she, like unbelief, and she looks at me with a smile on her face, and she goes, you know what? Your heart is normal. And I go, what? And she goes, your heart is normal. And, and, those, and then I said, well, you know what? Our congregation has been praying for me. We're asking for a miracle. And I got a miracle. I said, I got a miracle. And so um, she's just there. And so, I mean, she said, I had to look at it twice. So that shows me that, you know what, this doesn't happen. Yes. And so, um, so anyway, she says, you know what, I'm going to go home and tell my children about you. And I told everybody that took care of me, you know, this is a miracle from God. Everybody was, some were praising because they were, they were um, you know, their beliefs were still in God. But, you know, and some were testifying. They were Baptists. They were testifying to of what God had done in their lives. So now the doctor comes in and he tells me, well, now you're going to have to take a medication to just stable your heart. And I, right there and then it's like, you know what? You have to make a decision. So I had to make a decision. You know what? God, you did this miracle. Why do I need medicine to stable my heart if it's a miracle? So I said, between, you and God, between me and God, I said, God, between me and you, I'm not going to take this medicine. And they're not going to understand if I tell them anything. So they were bringing my medicine. <clears throat> the doctor said, give her her medicine in the morning and at night. And two hours later, just monitor her heart to see how she is, how she's doing with this medicine. So when they came in with my medicine, I said, no, I'm going to stand in faith. I'm going to walk on water. God, you honor faith. And I, I would take the medicine and throw it away. I said, God, you're in control. I'm doing it by faith. I'm walking on water. And it's, you know, you have to have that faith to walk in water. I, you know, I was just trusting God for everything. So they would come in two hours later and monitor my heart. And it's like, it's normal. It's normal. All I could hear was, it's normal. I said, yes, that's the God I, got. I serve. He's like, yes, that's God. It was amazing to me also, my, you know, that God can just touch me like that. And you know what? My heart never changed, never changed. And it's been about a week now. It's never changed. Hallelujah. It's the same because it's a miracle. Man. And so, um, at, but at the end, <laughs> at the end, uh, I had a monitor over me. They put a monitor and they have a monitor uh, room and it's called the war room. And so, um, so this monitor goes off and the day that I was supposed to be released, it goes off. There's a light. Just, and I was like, well, what is this? I mean, why, why is it going like that? <laughs> So uh, I told God, okay, God, you honor faith, and you're pleased with faith. That's all I could say. And so I called the nurse and just to ask her, I mean, what is all this? But they never answered me. They never came to my room, nothing. 
And so I said, okay, if they don't come to me, I will go to them. So I opened the door, the nurse was there. I told her, what is this doing? I mean, what is it? And so, um, so she comes in, she takes it off my neck and she just looks at it and she goes, oh, it just needs batteries. And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> so I just want to thank God. I mean, I give him the praise and the glory and the honor today because he is a, a God of miracles. And I want to thank everybody that prayed for me, agreed, because that's so important. Just to agree, you know, in prayer and let God do what he's going to do the way he wants to do it. So I just give him the glory. Amen. Praise the Lord. Thank God. Let's stand. Let's stand. Let's pray right now. Let's believe God. There are people here that are sick. There are people you know that are sick. You hear these testimonies. You know all the weeds that try to get in our way. Let's believe God. Place your hand in that part of your body you need to be healed. If it's personal, just put it on your stomach. And let's pray. I want you to say, Father, I believe it is your will to heal and to give life. And I reject fear and unbelief. We declare that you are good. We thank you for the blood of Jesus that has cleansed us from sin and purchased our deliverance and our healing. And we take authority over all sickness in Jesus' name. Let's pray. Father God, we believe you right now. You are a miracle working God. There is nothing too hard for you to do. Lord, you are Jehovah Rapha. You said you are the God who heals. God, perform miracles right now in bodies, God. Blood miracles, God, against cancer and death. In Jesus' name, amen. The Lord bless you. We'll pick up in a few minutes.